Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back to another episode of First Bite, our Detroit Lions podcast with a special guest. Ryan, we have made it. We are at the end of the road here. It has been over two months since the NFL draft actually happened, but we have made it to the Lions' final slash first pick. This is the Jameer Gibbs episode solo. We we talked about it a little bit when we were talking uh, Alabama boys uh, last week, but now it is time to talk all things Jameer Gibbs and go back to his Georgia Tech days. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Jeremy Reisman, producer of Pride of Detroit. You can find me at Pride of Detroit on Twitter. Uh, with me, as I just alluded to, uh, is senior editor of Pride of Detroit at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. How are we doing, man? Doing well. Imagine if Brad Holmes had not traded all of those picks to move up and get Broderick Martin. We, we could have been doing this like into August. <laughs> right. He would have taken us straight to training camp. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know what? Worth, worth it that he didn't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, let's, less let's work. Let's work all let's, around. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but let's get to it. Uh, as I mentioned, this is the Jameer Gibbs episode, and we wanted to talk specifically about his first two collegiate years at Georgia Tech. So we have a Georgia Tech expert with us. He is a writer publisher for Jackets Online, the rivals publication for all things Georgia Tech sports. He is a Heisman voter. It is Kelly Quinlan. Kelly Quinlan, thanks for joining us, man. How are you doing? I'm good, guys. How are you guys doing? Great, great. Uh, excited to to talk about this one because uh, definitely one of the biggest shockers on draft night, uh, maybe for everyone, certainly for a bunch of Lions fans. But let's let's start at the beginning here. Um, let, let's talk about Jameer's uh, recruitment. Um, was Mr. Georgia uh, in high school. So how how big of a, a landing was it in, in Georgia Tech to, to get Jameer Gibbs? It was sort of the culmination of a lot of hard work. The running backs coach at the time, uh, Tashard Choice, who's now at the University of Texas. Tashard played at Georgia Tech, played in the NFL for the Cowboys. He um, he saw a job before anyone else um, and kind of got on him really early. And that was what ultimately kind of won the day for Georgia Tech. They stayed on him. They were on him when no one really knew who he was. It was towards the back end of his recruitment that his rankings and everything took off and, and the interest took off and all the the bigger offers started to really roll in. And uh, he had a couple camp performances in the spring of um, 2019 that were that kind of got him on the radar. That's when I first saw him in person and saw his hands and his ability to run routes and the speed and the cutting. Just seeing all that in person, you were like, wow, this is a really talented guy. And then other people picked up on it as they saw him play at uh, Dalton High School up in Northwest Georgia, and then it just sort of avalanched, and, and it was sort of a bunch of fluke uh, things all lining up for Georgia Tech that allowed him to to come to the flats. I think you know he officially visited Florida. They screwed up the visit and brought um, I think it was Zach Evans, who was this high profile kind of high personality guy that. Not a lot of the running backs like they had three running backs on campus all at the same time. And that 
I think didn't turn on Mr. Gibbs. Ohio State just did like I think it was too far away from his family. Um and and then so Georgia Tech was ultimately close to home. He had the family he was living with. The son of that family was coming to Georgia Tech as a walk-on. Um, that just sort of all co- kind of coalesced and, and he ended up on the flats. And you know, he he ends up choosing Georgia Tech, like 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 we mentioned here. Um, you know, he chooses them over schools like Alabama, over Ohio State. He's got all these offers. He decides to stay uh in-house. Um how and because he had all of these accolades, you know, as Jeremy mentioned, Mr. Georgia and whatnot, how soon did you expect Ja to, you know, get on the football field and produce from like day one? You know, I, I thought he would he would start pretty quickly or be in the I thought I thought because they were transitioning at that point, the team had gone from Paul Johnson and the triple option offense to what the head coach at the time called a pro style offense. Essentially, they were trying to go, you know, 11 personnel and, and things like that. And and <laughs> it was amazing because they had all these running backs and they would not play Jameer with a, another back. And the other back at the time was Jordan Mason, who's the running back for the San Francisco 49ers now is a big mm-hmm. kind of bruising back. They actually complemented each other well. But it's interesting because they kind of played one or the other. It wasn't there wasn't the rotation was weird. They played a couple other guys. There's a kid named um, Jemias Griffin, who's uh, up at Oregon State now that transferred out, who's also a high profile kid from the same area. There were all these different guys and they were kind of playing them. It didn't make a lot of sense what they were doing. But, you know, Jaws first year, he got hurt and didn't play in the first game, if I remember correctly, at Florida State. And then. Um, then just kind of exploded on the scene. And he had two sort of fluke injuries during his career at Georgia Tech that ended, um, you know, a season, both both his first and second year. But um, really just they kind of didn't know how to use him at times, but he was this amazing weapon. He could return kicks. He could catch the ball out of the backfield. He could run between the tackles pretty well. He wasn't a guy you wanted to run 30 times between the tackles, but he was capable of of doing that if needed. Um, just an all-around guy. And he put on weight. That was the other big thing with him because mm-hmm. he was super skinny when I first met him. And he put on weight throughout his recruitment. And then even at Georgia Tech, he had a competition with another running back, Dante Smith, who was built like him, that's still at Georgia Tech. And the two of them were in competition with speed and weight gain, mm-hmm. trying to get bigger, get to 200 pounds. Like, uh, and, and he accomplished those things. And, and his work ethic was really impressive as well. So by the end of that freshman season, was it clear like, okay, he he's established himself. He's going to be the starter going into his sophomore season and he's going to be like a huge deal. So I've covered Georgia Tech since 2009. Before that, I covered the University of Georgia. So I've been covering uh, since 2001, this whole area. And, um, you know, I saw a lot of talented guys in those times at Georgia, Georgia Tech, and he is the second most talented guy I, I've, I saw. Um, you know, the most talented guy was he also played for the Lions, Calvin Johnson. <laughs> yeah. Like in terms of just raw football talent, Ja is as good as it gets. Like he can do everything. He's got natural athleticism, uh, mental toughness, just, um, you know, some game IQ, good vision, sees the field well, can read his blocks, all of those things. And, 
he was a little bit miscast. It was a bad offense when he was at Georgia Tech, and he still mm-hmm. managed to put up all these numbers. And what's funny is if you guys were to go watch game film from his two seasons, you will see maybe four or five touchdowns that got called back, like kick returns that he took to the house, like mm-hmm. stats that were wiped off the board too, long touchdowns uh, by holding calls or, or clipping or whatever, like different um, sort of weird weird calls, a couple you know, legit couple not. And so there were even more plays that just didn't even show up in the stats. And I think that was what wowed people so much and got him so much attention from the ACC media. That's generally always going to be Carolina and Virginia focused in all the voting for like all ACC and stuff, because that's mm-hmm. where the blood of the media is. So it's a little bit centered towards that. And he, he carved his way right through all of that. So, so that sophomore season, Kelly, uh, in 2021, he's all ACC at three different positions, all-purpose, uh, specialist, running back. Um, I know this is kind of like it, – it, it goes hand-in-hand hand with the durability concerns, but was was there was there concerns that second year of like, hey, we can't like over – we can't overwork this guy just because he did deal with injuries his freshman season? No, they they threw him straight into the fire, and he yeah, was – Let's get the most was, use out of him, right? <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as it, the wheels started to come off that season and it was clear there were issues um, and the offensive coordinator was on clearly on thin ice, there was – it was kind of became sort of, a, a, you know, known to most of us that were close to the program that he was probably going to leave and, and try to go somewhere else. And so there was a little bit of that kind of in the background of everyone's mind in the final couple weeks of the season after it was clear they were going to go to a bowl game and – weren't really turning things around the way they were expected to, but he played hard really. You know, the, the one game that Georgia tech fans are kind of mad about is the UGA game. He had a weird game. He played like a couple of snaps in his last game at Georgia tech and then just Mm -hmm. kind of begged out of the game. He was injured trying to play through it and just was like, no, this is not worth like, you know, injuring myself. We're, you know, three win team. Like, what am I doing? And shut it down. And and that was his last game. So that kind of irritated some fans. But, you know, other than that, I mean, the guy gave 100%. He ran, you know, injured himself. Um, maybe it was his freshman year. Like, he was breaking into the open field to run for a touchdown. And, like, I think he pulled his hamstring or something mm. like pulled up. And that was – I think it was against Duke. That was the end of his, his season. But just, you know, just amazing freak athlete. Like, and yeah. – I was not shocked to see a team. I was shocked where he went um, that it was that high, but I was not shocked that he was a top 15 guy. Like I definitely thought he got, he was lost in the shuffle a little bit at Alabama because they had three stud running backs. And so had he stayed at Georgia tech, he probably would have been, you know, the Doak Walker and all that stuff. Like he was lined up for that. And um, instead he got, you know, he was in a committee running back situation, a little, probably more like maybe how he'll start off in the NFL. Um, yeah. so we, and he's comfortable with that. Like he didn't, wasn't complaining at Alabama. Like he handled it really well. Right. You, you mentioned, you mentioned two things that I kind of want to dig deeper on. You, first you said mental toughness. That's something that he had. It, do you have like an example of that? Or, you know, was it something that he said to you or anything like that? What, what do you, where do you see that mental toughness out of him? So one thing you guys will learn is he is not a real talker. Yeah. Um, he's a very yeah. quiet guy, reserved. Yeah. Um, he jokes around. He's very good with his friends. A quick anecdotal story about that is uh, after he left Georgia Tech that summer, um, the, the the spring when Pro Day was at Georgia Tech for 
that off season. Um, and I guess it was 22 spring of 22. Mm-hmm. He came back to pro day, drove back from Tuscaloosa and came there to support his former teammates that were working out for the NFL. Like he was already enrolled at Alabama and on the team there and doing stuff. And he just came back on his own. Like I saw him there. I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I had to come back and see my guys and give them support and love. That's cool. And so it just kind of shows you the kind of guy he is. I mean, he's a guy, he, like I said earlier, he lived with, you know, one of his teammates in high school, like his family did not have much. They were very, you know, very tough upbringing, very kind of having to survive. And the mentality and, and the way Georgia Tech works and the fact that he was able to handle school and all that, it's a very difficult academic institution. He thrived and did what he needed to do. All of those things, the mental toughness you have just to play there is is something that that really shows. And it's why a lot of guys have survived in the NFL and, and worked their way up like Jordan Mason, who I mentioned, or Darren Waller. Mm-hmm. Um, who are guys that maybe didn't wow people in college, but they've managed to survive in the NFL because they had that toughness built into them from from surviving Georgia Tech. And the other thing I wanted to to kind of dig deeper on is, as you say, you, you thought he was maybe a little bit miscast, and you know there were some offensive coordinator issues at Georgia Tech. Can you maybe just go into a little bit more details of how they did use him versus maybe how you think he should have been used? So like an angle route is like his greatest thing, right? Yes. At the wheel, any of those things, right? Like he can, uh, getting him in space, tossing the ball, like, you know, toss sweeps and stuff. They would run him like a traditional back. They'd not really maneuver him out into the slot a lot. Mm. And I, I felt like there was a lot of opportunities. They had a running quarterback, like that good wheels, like move him around, throw him screens, do things like that. And they didn't do a ton of that. They were not super creative with him. You had Jordan Mason, who was NFL back next to him that could, he could play off each other. And you had a kid named Dante Smith, who's still on the team now that was also very dynamic. They had a lot of these weapons and they just didn't use them. And it was the weirdest thing because they play sort of more, the you know, mediocre tight ends or like these different kind of patchwork guys and it drove the fan base crazy. Like, why are you doing this? It drove some of the coaches crazy. I mean, some of the guys left, like Deshard, who played at Georgia Tech, left. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, they just couldn't handle, like, the didn't understand what they were doing, didn't make sense. And and the OC ended up at Old Dominion, then got fired from there before the season even started because something happened and something that has never become public. I, I don't – I can't really get into it, but sure. – it was just not a bad – it was a bad situation. The the, co- the head coach knew he screwed up with the OC hire and just kind of had to live with it. And um, job and a better – and a functional offense, you know, put it's putting up 2,000 all-purpose yards. And that wasn't happening because the, the guys around him and the scheme was not what it needed to be to get there. Kelly, I, I don't know how closely you, you – watched him or, or paid attention to his career uh, at Alabama that one year, but were, were, were there times maybe you, you peeked in and, and saw him doing things? You're like, man, like Georgia Tech just should have been doing X, Y, or Z with him and and look what he's doing at Bama. I thought, you know, the way they used him made a lot more sense at times um, with the committee system and, and trying to figure out ways to get him the ball in space. And, you know, Bill O'Brien's not exactly known as the most innovative offense <laughs> coordinator of all time either. Um <laughs> So, you know, having him, having Saban, who's a generally conservative coach as well, you know, I would have enjoyed seeing him 
if it was Sark or or yeah. you know Lane Kiffin running the Alabama offense, that would have been more interesting to me. Um, I felt like they didn't always make the best use of him. They they had a lot of issues last year. I do watch Alabama football quite a bit and um, would watch a lot of the games because a lot of them kicked off after Georgia Tech game. So I'd go hang out. I have a really good friend that's a Georgia Tech fan that has an RV, and we go hang out and. Um, they're Bama fans as well. And we'd watch, have a beer after the game and just sit there after I was done working and watch Bama. And we would be kind of amused at like how miscast he was at times still there too. Like, Mm -hmm. I think you have to have people who understand how to use those guys, you know, um, Alvin Kamara or Kenyon Drake, or there's a lot of these guys that are these all purpose guys. And, um, you have to know how to use them. And, and that's always been a challenge for, for, coaches and you know that's the one thing i'll be really curious about with the lions is like how how do they uh, clearly they have a vision for this right like you're not going to go that high to take that guy and not have a plan on how you're going to use him as a special weapon yeah right i I don't i don't think any go ahead go ahead i I just want to ask one more follow-up question because it is so close to home and and uh kelly you mentioned you know you used to cover georgia football uh, sure you're familiar with DeAndre Swift and you know you talk about those guys who are special players who can do all these all-purpose things um the, when we were talking earlier about uh Ja and uh that that last game where you know he he's trying to play through injury and decides to just shut it down for a three-win team um DeAndre Swift is a player who here in Detroit there were a lot of concerns about you know can he play through injury not not playing while he's hurt but can he play through injury um it, any anything that you can give to us about Ja in in that respect? So the story I will tell, and I, I got to try to remember what exactly it was that he had wrong with him. I don't remember if it was COVID or an injury, but he missed the first game of the season his first year, and he wanted to play very badly. He just was not medically cleared so badly that he tried like he traveled with the team and was like trying to warm up and convince the doctors to let him play. And they would not let him go medically. Like he just wasn't cleared. So, and they're very stiff on that at Georgia tech, especially with like college athletes. So to me, that was a sign that like, you know, they had to like hold him back basically and not give him his helmet. Like he wanted to go out there. So, you know, I never found him to be a guy that was like going to shut it down and not want to play. And, there are guys like that. And he had a couple of teammates that were like that. And he was definitely not like that. I think that, you know, the last game, if you've decided you're leaving and, and everyone knew he was leaving at that point, everyone knew he was going to Alabama actually, like mm-hmm. that was close to the program. So at that point, I don't blame him. They're playing a juggernaut Georgia team at that point. That was going to beat the full. I think that game was like 50 to nothing. Like it was yeah, complete beating. And yeah. So I don't blame him for – I wouldn't have wanted to play either if I was – and, like, I don't sure. blame the kids for, for doing that. He's protecting his future. And yeah. was smart on his part because he was going to get NIL at Alabama and get a deal. And you don't want to jeopardize that, especially in the situation where he is. It's when, like, his family's independently wealthy or something. Right. And I, let me let me dig a little bit more into that too because I know I know there, there's some, you know, group of fans that, 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 that that'll hear what you just said, like, he quit at the end of the Georgia game and then he transferred and he left his team behind. And, 
you know, he's he's not the type of kind, the guy that would fight through adversity and, and stay loyal to his team. I'm sure there were some Georgia Tech fans that, that were saying things like that. Um, can you maybe provide a little bit more clarity on why it wasn't that situation? Or, or maybe if you do think it was, there is was a little bit of that, why there was a little bit of that. I mean, I think he decided that he was not he was not being placed in the best best situation to succeed. And the way they were using him didn't maybe make as much sense to him. And he was getting, you know, NIL just coming to thing. There was opportunities to make a lot of money elsewhere. Like, why, why am I going to stay here and win three games again? And coaches literally on the verge of getting fired. Like it was a coin flip by the AD basically that kept the head coach employed. So at that point, and the AD ended up, they ended up both getting fired on the same day, like in the middle of the next season. So he clearly made the right decision, like to leave for him. Yeah. As a Georgia Tech fan, yeah, it's frustrating. But had they been successful, I don't think he leaves. Like, and um, had they used him in a wiser way and he stayed healthy and all of those things, I think it's a different conversation. But I think he he made the choice that was best for him. If he were my son, I would have told him that that was the wisest decision. I mean, look at how many guys are put in the NFL by Nick Saban, right? Like it is as close to a sure bet as you get in a thing that's, you know, the odds are exponentially against you being drafted, let alone a first round pick. And it worked. I mean, he got himself, you know, and, and who's to say he doesn't, you know, get beat up and, tear his shoulder up or something, you know, like playing running. Careful. careful. Don't, don't, don't put that out there. Well, no, I'm just saying like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. if he stayed no, at Georgia right. tech, right. They're using him as an every down guy yeah. and yeah. he gets worn out. And I got in a lot of different arguments with Georgia tech fans over this over time, but sure. my opinion always was that he made the wisest choice for him. And, and most of the rational ones didn't blame him, especially given how things were going with his head coach at the time. Yeah, and I think every step of the way that decision has certainly proven to be right, given that he is now a top 12 NFL draft pick. Um, but let's let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to dive a little bit more into the, the nitty gritties about who he is as a football player and how that projects to his NFL career. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more of that on First Bite here with Kelly Quinlan, Quinlan sorry, on Jameer Gibbs. We'll be right back. And we are back here on First Bite, talking all things Jameer Gibbs with Kelly Quinlan of Jackets Online. Uh, yeah, I, I want to get into the football player and, and, and talk about who he is and, and how exciting of a of player is. We, we touched a little bit on it, um, but if you had to like pick one thing about Jameer Gibbs that you would call his superpower, what is what is the the one thing he does that is just so special? I think he has like that extra gear, right? Like he he can just pull away from people. And I think that's something you don't necessarily see in guys his size. You don't see a lot of 200-pound guys. Like, you'll see the little slot guys that can do that, that can fly and all that. And he just – he he has the gifts of both a wide receiver, like a slot, really talented slot receiver, and a very talented running back. And that combination super rare, especially even in the NFL. Like, 
there's not a lot of guys like that can just outrun somebody to the corner, like, and, and he can do that. And, um, it's great on kick returns. It's fun watching him. He sees it well, like just start to pull away from somebody, just find that scene and boom, he's gone. And there's just aren't a lot of guys like that. I mean, um, you know, I covered a bunch of NFL running backs at Georgia, like, and didn't even see that that often there. Like, you'd see really talented guys or, or you know, I saw there was a guy there that no Sean Moreno that like hurdled a guy in a game, like, mm-hmm. but not like necessarily just sheer speed and, and his ability to catch the ball too is like off the charts. Do you think Kelly, that the, uh, the comparisons you mentioned Alvin Kamara in the last segment, do you think that those comparisons are fair or do you think that maybe kind of those expectations of this guy's going to come in here and he's going to just, you know, <clears throat> light the world on fire in terms of doing both those things, running and receiving the football like Kamara did in his rookie season. I mean, I think he's a guy that can be 2000 plus 2,500 all purpose yards. Like I think he's a guy who could have a thousand yards receiving um, and a thousand yards rushing. Now, you know, do you want him at 300 carries? No, I don't, you know, like, but you know, the NFL, the way it is now, anyways, it's, that's not really the way the game's played. So um, I think the the his his ability is going to be, yeah. You know, I think he fits the current modern NFL really well. Like what you see are these guys that can do a little of everything, being creative with how you line guys up, being creative with how you get guys the ball in space. All of those things are, are huge, and um, he's a really valuable weapon. They just got to keep him healthy. I mean, he's you know he's got tremendous talent, and I think he's got a chance to be really special if he can stay healthy. Man, you just you hit on so many good things there that that I want to talk more about because when you said this this he fits the modern NFL really well, which is which is interest like an inter- an interesting parallel because a lot of people say drafting a running back that early does not fit today's NFL, but you're you're kind of drafting a different player than just a standard running back and 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 also it's funny here you mentioned a thousand a thousand which is something that um, I don't know if you know this but. Um, DeAndre Swift said that was his goal for last season is getting a thousand rushing a thousand receiving um, obviously didn't come all that close to it, but I've been, I've also been banging the table thing like this guy could catch 70, 80 passes his rookie season. So fair to say, like you think that's in with a, within the realm of possibilities, if not his rookie season sometime in his career. Yeah. I think he's definitely a guy that can, can do, do that. I think yeah. he's got the big playability, you know, it's interesting because the kick return piece, which is the other all purpose thing. I, yeah. You know, the way kickoffs are now, it's so different. Right. Um, like how often are they going to take them out? Like all of that stuff and the judgment calls there mm-hmm. and, and the, you know, everyone's kickers are so gifted now that they don't put a lot of opportunity to return anyway. So that, that's sort of interesting with the all purpose thing, but um, with the receiving, yeah, I think he can do that. I mean, but, you know, it's going to come down to quarterback play and execution and all of those things and having the right weapons and having not having defense completely focus on you either. Right. Like that's because right. you can scheme scheme a guy out. And that happened to him some at Georgia Tech because they didn't have a lot of weapons around him. So, you know, that's those are the things you look at. Um you know, trying to figure out where he fits into this. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you look at the two guys who are drafted, and ironically, both uh coached by Tashar Choice, mm-hmm. Bijan and 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 Jameer. Um it's clear that there's a value placed on these guys that can do a little of everything. Yeah. And it's not just 
if you're just a pure running back, like a guy that's going to catch 20 balls and and run, you know, 1500 yards or whatever, that's the third round pick. That's the fourth right. round. I think these guys that can return kicks can play as a slot receiver in some way can are very versatile in how they can line up. Those are the guys that I think do have the first round value. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's where it's going to be interesting to see if there's a little bit of a revival of these like all purpose back type guys in the NFL and, and maybe some, some revitalization to those guys. And the one thing that's cool about Jaws, he does not have the game reps on him that a lot of other running backs do. Like he, he missed some time as freshman year. He missed some time as sophomore year at Bama. They managed his load. Like he wasn't playing, you know, 80 snaps a game. So he's not worn out. Like he's yeah. not been beaten down. He's not, his injuries have all been like not really significant ones in terms of like something long-term or anything like bad. Um, so that all bodes well for him as well. Like he was, that's the other thing that, you know, and that's the other thing that's devalued so many running backs too. Like, you know, Jordan Mason came in, he had played, you know, 2000 college snaps or something like, right. you know, or probably more than 2,500 maybe mm. like, that's way different than where Jaws is going into the NFL. So those guys are, you know, going to have value. And I think, um, I think you're starting to see a premium being put on guys that can be playmakers, whether it's, you know, as a, a hybrid tight end guy, like, uh, you know, Pitts with right. the Falcons or whatever, like there's guy, yeah, he hasn't really lived up to it yet, but people who put Brian's a premium. a big fan. Team. That's why I made that fade. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, the, the guy, the Travis Kelsey or whatever, like the, right. the there's those type of guys. And then there's the, you know, slot guys that are interesting and then the running backs and then wide receivers that do specific things. But the guys who are more like one dimensional, I think those are the ones that are sliding down more yeah. in the draft as you look at, you look at it, it probably is that way defensively too, if you think right. about it in some ways. It, yeah. And I, you know, three months ago, I was mo the most strident, like don't draft a running back in the first two rounds. And, and the one, the one hiccup, the one thing that I don't have a good ar counter argument for is the fact that Kyle Shanahan traded all those draft picks for a guy like Christian McCaffrey. Kyle Shanahan is a very smart offensive coach. I am not. If he thinks that that kind of investment in in those high a hybrid weapon like him is worth all of those draft resources, I might have to you know kind of revisit my own position there. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting to see like who what the values are, but that's another great example of a guy that's can do a little of everything. And if yeah. he's healthy, he's, you know, really dangerous weapon. Um, I, I think you're just seeing this sort of shift towards these type of running backs. Now it, yeah. it is interesting to see like who will are kind of embracing that in the NFL. I, I have a question that's kind of off, um, off the beaten path. It wasn't on a rundown. So I, I, I don't mean to blindside you, but no, it's fine. this, uh, this quote from Maurice Jones drew has always stuck with me about, um, his three traits that he he looks at in every running back. And one of them is contact balance. Um, the other one is short area quickness. So, you know, when a defensive lineman gets two yards deep in the backfield, what are you doing to get away from him? And then the third thing was, what are you doing without the football um, in terms of your blocking? Uh, I, I know we've talked extensively about how good of a receiver jaw is, but that's another thing that, that would kind of fall under that category. If, if you were to um, kind of rank those things with jaw, how would you rank those things like, you know, contact balance, short area quickness and what he's able to do without the football? So it's interesting. Um, I would say, you know, his pass pro his it was not great. Um, but again, he's out in the pattern 
most of the time. Like you're right. not going to have him chip. Like that right. makes no sense. Or have him try to, like if he's in the game, you want him out in the pattern. So he's not doing a ton of that. Um, he was very good. I mean, he, the holes he was working with at Georgia Tech were terrible. <laughs> and even Alabama last year, they had major offensive line issues and they'd struggle to run the ball at times. And yeah, he was making the first guy miss or spinning out of stuff or having to – you know, avoid someone in a phone phone booth. I think that's the, yeah. the other one that people like to use, like with quarterbacks. Like he had to he had to make a move before. Like he wasn't just standing there running. You know, I'm going to go through this gap and I'm hitting a gap and there's a hole. No, he was having to dodge traffic right off the jump most of the time. And I think that's where he can, you know give you a lot of value. I think he's, he's got the, the quickness. I think he's got the ability, you know, the past pro that's not going to be a strength for him. It hasn't been in his career. And yeah, I think you're foolish if you have him doing that more than for say a trick play or something, or, you know, play action or something very specific you're trying to do. I think you want him out in the pattern and, and being, being the weapon that he is, you didn't draft him to stand, you know, stand there and protect your quarterback. That's right. That's why they paid David Montgomery, right, Jeremy? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which should kind of it seems like maybe that compliment that they should have been having in, in Georgia Tech is, is what they do have here in Detroit or what they are going to do, because we have seen like they they very clearly are going to be playing Jameer Gibbs out wide a lot. That He's repping with wide receivers at, at OTAs and minicamp. Um, but I want I want to get back to some him as a runner, because like you said, like he has a thousand yard potential, which would be something. Um and and it seems like maybe this is the first time he's going to have an offensive line, a decent, uh, maybe maybe great offensive line in front of him. So what what is his vision like? Is it um, has I don't know what? Sometimes when I hear that a, a running back has dealt with um, a poor offensive line, I I worry that they get a little jumpy, that they 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 get a little too eager to create on their own. Um, is he is he a more patient back at times, or does he just do whatever he has to do? I think he's been in the situation a lot where he had to improvise right. and read. And but I, I mean, the times when the blocking was there, he was usually pretty good at reading it, not getting himself out of position. One of the things too you talk about when you have that much speed is like don't outrun your blocks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, stay behind your guys and and let them create the hole. And then that's where his acceleration becomes such a big factor because he can then pull away once he gets out of that corner, or gets the inside seam, or whatever it is, like. So, yeah, I mean, I think his vision, you know, and that's what makes him that's so the I guess the answer to that is go watch him as a kick returner. Like that's all that is, is vision. Like it's, that's you know, 80% of that is it's vision and the rest of it's your ability to break away if you have the seam, but you have to be able to see it. I think he did a great job of, of seeing the creases, finding the opportunities to, to return the ball when it was there. And when it wasn't, he, he would, you know, take the, take the touchback and, move on with his day. He wasn't, he wasn't, he only had one or two like bad judgment calls. And the fact they put him back there so young was a good sign too, that they believed in him. And then also they would have him whenever they needed it to score. Or they were behind in a game that was close. He would be back there. He didn't do it a hundred percent of the time, but if you needed it, he was there to do that. And I'm sure that's probably, I would think the lions would probably not put him out there every single time, but you know, when you need something, yeah, he's there to do it. Maybe they will. I don't know. I don't know what the strategy is going to be there. And that I don't know how you gauge that in the NFL. It's hard to know um, because of the we talked about this last week um, because they put Jam- they were planning to put Jamison Williams as as a gunner 
in his first career NFL <laughs> game. So I wouldn't be surprised if they put him as punt returner, kick returner, whatever, whatever they feel Jameer is, is capable of. I mean, they spend a lot of draft capital on him um, early. I w- I guess my answer is early on, I wouldn't be surprised to see him doing some specialist stuff. Probably not in the long term, though. Might be the situational guy, though. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I I got one last question for Kelly. Um, And and I know you you touched on it a little bit in terms of maybe being surprised at at him being drafted so high. Uh, And I'm not sure if you've heard the story or not, but it it, it seems like it was Brad Holmes, Lions GM, and, and, and the rest of the regime who preferred Gibbs over Bijan Robinson. And that kind of flies in the face of nearly everything that you saw pre-draft process. But um as someone who I'm assuming you've seen Bijan play, but like how can you kind of rationalize that? Like how how can you kind of uh you know assure Lions fans that Brad Holmes isn't just seeing things um that that there is something to that in terms of them being different players. Gibbs is just sort of a special guy and I watch, uh, so my, my parents both went to UT, um, my grad's dad taught there. Um, you spend my summers in Austin. So I followed Texas football quite a bit. Um, and still watch their games from time to time when I get the opportunity. Um, and I was always more impressed with Gibbs, like watching the two of them and, and all things being equal. Um, and who they were playing against regularly, and 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 Bijan's a really talented guy, but Gibbs is like, like I said, man, like I, I mean, you know, I've covered everyone from um, I'm trying to think of like who some like the freaky people. I've covered a lot of guys who played for line. I covered Matthew Stafford, and right, yeah. I saw him as a true freshman, and um, the story I always tell about that is I ran into him in a bar. I was a like a rookie reporter he was a freshman in college and we're sitting across from each other at the bar and just sort of nodded at each other and let it go um but yeah so like uh yeah like Stafford all those dudes like uh I mean they had you know those Georgia teams were loaded and Georgia Tech was really good when I got there and they had really talented backs and he's just different man I've watched and I've watched a lot of guys too like you know the Clemson guys all the Florida State guys all those guys I've seen in person over the years and there was just something really electrifying it was like Calvin like there was something electrifying when you watch Calvin play like that was just different um it was the same thing with watching Matt Stafford throw the football right like it was different in college like watching him as a true freshman just throw the ball at practice like you could tell there was a huge difference he didn't know what the hell he was doing like the first <laughs> year but like <laughs> He like the talent was clearly like light years ahead of everyone else on the team. Yeah. And he ended up the starter as that season went on. And, you know, job displaced guys that play a lot of football. I mean, Jordan Mason had been the starter running back the year before. And eventually, you know, job was the starting running back. And Jordan Mason really had nothing to say. He was like, I get it. Like, yeah. why would you not play that dude? <laughs> you, his only thing was like, why are we not playing together at the same time? But because right. the argument all of us were making at that point. But um that we're watching the team, but uh, yeah, I just think, you know, there's something, there's something there and I don't know what it is, but there's something that makes him me feel like he's going to be like a hair better than Bijan. And I don't, I don't know why, but he's a special guy. Hopefully he fought. I mean, if you know, I'm right, that'll be awesome. I mean, he's not Barry Sanders, but I love watching Barry Sanders and Calvin and they've been some special guys with the lions. Let's hope they, you know, fare better than, the the teams did during those yes. guys eras but um 
Yeah, I mean, That's I have a hope. an ardent Lions fan, like huge Lions and huge Georgia Tech fan and big booster. And he texted me on draft night and was just like, I can't believe they drafted him that high. Like, wow. He's like, I don't, I don't know if I like it or not. And we had like <laughs> this long discussion about it. And it was just like, I was like, if you think he's as special as we all did watching him, then I think I understand why they, and given the way the draft was unfolding and looking at who was on the board at that point, if you didn't feel like you could trade back and get him, um, it made sense. Like, and the way that, that it got real weird, the draft, the way it unfolded at that point. So you don't know. So, you know, I think there's too much of a premium sometimes placed on, you know, do I draft this guy eighth versus 12th right and you know am i going to get like what i want out of that and people are wondering what you're up to and yeah it's better maybe sometimes to just go for it and get the guy you want yep the whole like min maxing of like i have to get the absolute maximum value out of this pick well now if you get a good football player no one else is going to care in in the long run we watched the falcons make all these weird moves and stuck and then they would draft terrible guys and it's like (laughs) right you know like just bus and draft like eight tight ends in four years and like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, and so those are the things that, you know, make it real clear that it, there's no, there's no, it's not, you know, that's the thing we talk about with recruiting, right? The five-star, four-star, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, Alabama misses on guys, Georgia misses on guys, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, all these schools, USC, the NFL is the same way, right? Like you're, you're, you're always rolling the dice. There's always going to be guys or a bust. There's always going to be home runs. And most of the guys are in between that. And yeah. so <clears throat> once you get out of the franchise guys, the first couple picks, maybe a quarterback or an offensive tackle or whatever it is, or a stud D end, there's not a lot of guys that are just, you know, home run, like that, right. you know, you're going to be your cornerstone or your a cornerstone of your franchise. So yeah. I get it, man. Like, you know, looking at the draft, like I sort of get why they did it. Like, now, could they have traded back? Maybe, but maybe no one wanted to trade up for that salary either. That's right. the other thing. Yeah, and they and they had also already traded back. It was, it was a six to twelve, and I think yeah. I think you're right. At some point, like you you're just like you're risking potentially losing a guy that you think is special. Um, last last thing before I let you go, um, I always like to send Lions fans home with homework here. So if you had a a game or a play or a moment in Jameer Gibbs's Georgia Tech career. What is what is a moment that the, that everyone listening should go chase down on YouTube? Huh. I gotta think about that for a second. Um, hmm. Was there so was it maybe a kick return? Or he pop off a against a rival or anything like that? Um do do they put YouTube highlights up of of touchdowns that get called back, like you said. <laughs> you know, it's funny that that would be very funny. We had a lot of discussions. I probably have like some gifts of like some of those plays because there was like a whole. I have a former player who breaks down a lot of the games, and mm-hmm. some we, there were some ones that were pretty sketchy that we were both like he like put it he like cut it back and showed you where like the the bad call was and and the missed call. Um. Ah. Uh, I don't know. Like, that's interesting. Um, there was a Miami, the game at Miami where they upset them. Uh, was it in 21? Is that right? No, it wouldn't have been. No, they, uh, 
Uh, they lost that game in 21. Um, they came, they were winning and then lost the game. I always uh, have a hard time remembering like the specific moments. I'm trying to think of one. Give me a if second. If you want, you, you can get back to us and I'll we'll just include it in the post on the website. Um, the one that, uh, hmm. yeah, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll let you think on it. That's fine. Yeah, let me think about it a little bit. That's that's very funny because like sometimes I'll forget like something I've covered so many games. (laughs) I it all sort of blends together. Yes, I totally get that. The Duke Uh, game that he got hurt in is the one that I think about a lot. And 2020, mm. um, he was him and um, Jordan Mason had this insane game, and uh, he was like running away from somebody for a touchdown, and. I think he pulled his hamstring and he like pulled up at midfield he had like broken free oh no but i think he had already at that point in that game had already rushed for a bunch of yards and i think the two of them ran for like 250 yards or something in that game and he got hurt and he only played like so all right i looked it up while we were talking and so this is very funny he played seven snaps in that game he ran um Ran, sorry, ran the ball seven times for 93 yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> and then, like I said, he had one where he got hurt and would have didn't score that where he yeah. would have scored. That's so Duke 2020. That was his, um, kind of like coming out party. Run. Yeah. It was just like, it was it had that weird COVID season and they had been on a COVID break, I think, hmm. um, before that. And they didn't yeah. play for like a couple weeks and, it's such a weird time. Uh, that one always sticks out. That whole COVID year was super weird. They played super two games weird. with no fans in the stands that season. Um, yeah, that was a weird time. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, before before we let you go, last thing I want is just to give you the floor to promote your stuff. Where can people find you? What uh, where they where can they read your stuff? Social media. Where, if you're on Threads. Let them know where you can find <laughs> you on threads. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I've never, I still am like, that's like Instagram was like sort of a, a jump too far for me. <laughs> I get that for sure. Um, that was like Snapchat and, and that were the two. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, Twitter's my main thing that I use Kelly underscore Quinlan Q U I N L A N. Um, cover Georgia Tech jackets online is the website if you're into Georgia Tech. Um, it's the, the number one place to be. We have the largest, um, coverage, including all the papers and stuff, uh, of Georgia tech, largest website and, um, uh, Instagram's jackets online. If you want to follow us there, I'm not super active on that. Like I said, um, but yeah, that's, that's the best place to follow me. You can get all our content. We, uh, cover the jackets like no other. So, um, Yes, yeah, that's it, man. I appreciate you guys uh, talking a little jaw with me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for thanks for coming on. And and as I said, you are a Heisman voter, so everyone at him, JJ McCarthy, from now until December. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kidding, kidding. Please don't do that. Uh, but Kelly, I, I do really appreciate your time, man. Uh, I, I I love bringing on people who are very enthusiastic about um, the players they cover, and certainly seems like uh, Gibbs made an impression on you and and a lot of people over there at Georgia Tech. So appreciate your insight, man. No problem. All right. And that'll do it. Ryan, we made it. We made it through the line's entire draft class. I don't know what we do now. Just kind of sit with our, our hands in our pockets until training camp in three weeks or so. But it was, a, it was a fun ride, man. 
It was great. I uh, I'm super excited. I'm just ready for ready for football. I, I saw somebody on Twitter that said that they can't wait for Pistons basketball. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> There's something way more important that needs to happen way before just like a, a month and a half. So, right. yeah. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for for your journey along the way. Uh, this isn't the end of First Bite. We might take a break for for a week or two, but obviously we we do these previews for uh, we we bring on guests from o- opposing teams, and so that will start up fairly soon, and we'll probably have some some other guests in between then. But thank you for everyone who's been along for the ride. We'll have our other main podcasts obviously still going throughout the week. But until then, for Ryan, I'm Jeremy. Thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be kind. <laughs>